to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 34, says this. Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right and is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism John preached? You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the story, right? And this this section here in Acts is just one of many tellings of this story. It's told many different times in the Bible, and it's been told countless times throughout history in so many different ways. At the core of this story is this main event, the resurrection of Jesus, arguably the most important event in all of history. This moment where where God defeats death and Jesus rises and not just coming back to life, but, but ushering in this new era, this beginning of new creation, the new way to live um, the, the beginnings of, 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 of everything of, of this great um, fulfillment of this promise. Those of us who are Christians who follow Jesus, who have dedicated their lives to this, would even say that this event has profoundly affected our lives personally, the direction that our lives have taken. And yet, none of us actually saw it happen. Think about that for a second. This is like the most important thing in our lives, and yet we we didn't see it. Not only was it not just us, but like there isn't anybody alive today that witnessed this. Our parents didn't witness it. Their parents didn't witness it. Their parents and on and on and on and on. You got to go back 2000 years to get any actual witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And. Even then, it's still not a very large group of people. He didn't show up to everybody in that generation. It was just a small, select group, right? Let's look back at Acts chapter 10, verse 39 says, Peter says, we are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day and allowed him to be seen, not by everyone, but by us. We are witnesses whom God chose beforehand, who ate and drank with him after God raised him from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Okay. So Jesus 
having just done probably the greatest thing in ever has now come back to life and yet only shows himself to a few select group of people. Why? I mean, think about it. Think about all of the people that he didn't reveal himself to. I mean, just right off the top of my head, we've got like the guards at the tomb, um, the Pharisees, Caiaphas, the high priest, Herod, Pilate, Caesar. Like, imagine just for a second that you had just been raised from the dead with the knowledge that you were the beginning of this new creation and ushering in this new world order of existence. Like, wouldn't you, like, go to a big population center? Like, wouldn't you want to make a big splash? Wouldn't you want to do something that leaves absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind about who you are and about what that means and about who God is? That's not what Jesus did. Like, it's like, it's like the, in Jesus Christ Superstar, in the title song, the character of Judas is singing to Jesus. And he says, every time I look at you, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. You'd have managed better if you'd had it planned. Why'd you come to such a backward time and such a strange land? If you'd come today, you could have reached a whole nation. Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. Don't you get me wrong. I only want to know. Right, but that's, that's not what Jesus did. Instead, he went to this small group. So what, what was special about this group of people that he revealed himself to? Well, nothing at first glance. I mean, this is just kind of a ragtag group of people that he, pulled from all over the place, fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, and everyone in between. But they were just, they were just people that he grabbed. And that um, over the course of three years, they just kind of followed him around, watched him do stuff. Um, they saw him speaking to other people, arguing with religious leaders, healing people, feeding masses, running off to be by himself to pray teaching them how to pray and all the time in between when it was just he and them teaching them on the road, trying to explain things, trying to put stuff in, into perspective for them. And over and over again, they just, they like, they didn't get it. They didn't understand the gospels are full of stories about him, Jesus doing great things and the disciples completely not understanding what was happening over and over and over again. This group of people just never got it. That is, until the very end of the story, when he appears to them after his resurrection. And they get out after that initial shock of, you know, it's really him, oh gosh. And then you can kind of see it happening, right? Very slowly, it just starts to dawn on them. 
and they look at him and they think back over all the stuff that they've seen and done and, and everything. And they just go, Oh, Oh, I get it now. They have this incredible, like aha moment collectively where all of a sudden it all comes together and it all makes sense and they see him for who he is and they understand what it means. But you don't get that reaction. You don't get that aha moment without the three years that led up to it. You see, the context matters. The disciples had been prepared over many years through witnessing experiences, through through observing, through conversation, um, through living, to get them to that moment when when Jesus reveals himself, they're ready for it. And they're ready to begin understanding. Context matters. Um, I, the A uh, couple of days ago, uh, we were watching a movie as a family. Uh, I, you may have, it's, uh, we watched a movie called The Missing Link. It's an animated film. You may have seen it. If you haven't, the plot, roughly speaking, there is a British explorer that tries to help Bigfoot travel to the Himalayas to meet the Yeti. Uh, sounds really convoluted when I say it out loud like that. It's a cute movie. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where they're on the run. There's, there's a villain pursuing them. And you've got the, the Bigfoot and a woman that are together and they're trying to escape. And the villain is chasing after them and they're running and they come up to a crowd of people. And they get there, and the villain, being very quick thinking, yells out, look, that monster has captured that defenseless woman. And the crowd turns, and they look, and they see something that they were not prepared to see. They saw a monster and a woman. And not understanding it, having no preparation, no context for it, they... They didn't know what to do, and yet the villain in our story had already provided them with an alternative narrative that came in and helped them make sense of it. And they looked, and they saw exactly what the villain wanted them to see, and they became an angry mob and added to the chase. So maybe there is some wisdom in in the fact that Jesus was being selective in who he revealed himself to. And he couldn't just show up to anybody. The other thing that I'm thinking about with this is concerns goals. As in, like, what was God's goal with this whole Jesus story thing, right? Like, God incarnate lives the human experience, heals, teaches, is killed, is resurrected, that whole thing. Like, why? What's the point? To what end? And the reason I ask this question here is because it's really easy for us to kind of project our own goals and motivations onto God, to presume presume that we know what God is up to, and then like put us in a position to offer some advice on how you might how you might have done better at that. Because when you when you look at this, like my first thought is obviously God is trying to reach a ton of people to make a big splash to prove definitively once and for all. That they are the one true God, right? That way every nation shall come and bow down and worship the Lord as, as God, as Lord and King, right? This ultimate beyond the shadow of a doubt definitive realization that yes, God is, is in charge. 
here is this new order and we're going to set it up right now. But is that the goal? Some form of global subjugation? So I, I won't presume to speak for God, but there is one theme that I do see repeated over and over and over again in scripture. And it is God in a relentless pursuit of relationships with their creation. And you see that all the way from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. God wants to walk in the garden, be with Adam and Eve. And you see that over and over again as God calls Abraham, God calls Moses. God is in this relationship, trying to be in this relationship with with Israel, and Israel continues to reject God. You see this in the entire story of Jesus, where God literally, like, gives up power to come be here, to connect with us, literally willing to die for us. This relentless pursuit of a relationship. So if the goal is relationship, maybe these actions make a little bit more sense. Because think about, think again about the group that Jesus revealed himself to. There's something else that set them apart. They loved him. And when he, before he showed up, they were together grieving his loss. And when they saw them again, when they saw him again, they were filled with joy. They were so happy to see him. Um, in, in Luke 24, on the, the story of the two travelers on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus shows up and is like disguised himself and is talking to them for a while. And then right at the end, he reveals who he is and then disappears. Um, the two travelers say to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? Like that, that feeling, that, that joy, that burning in the heart. Um, they loved him and they missed him and they were happy to see him again. So let me pause here for a second and then just kind of turn the question on to you guys. Um, what do you think about all of this? Like, why do, why do you think Jesus only showed up to a small group? Why are there, why were there just so few eyewitnesses? Um, what was, what's going on here? Can I speak instead of just putting it in the chat? Go for it. Um, well, I think about these days, the days of social media, and you put something out into the universe, into the cyber world, and it can go all sorts of places. And so it makes me think, you know, like, this is pretty spectacular, special information. And so, you know, just like when we have something 
that's pretty important to us. We go to the people who love us and know us and care about us um, with this trusted information, this, you know, something that's valuable to us. Um, And so I never thought about it, but I just wonder the wisdom of, of keeping the story within relationship um, versus what happens when it's just, you know, anybody could do it, whatever they want, you know, like make up their own, whatever. So thanks, Jen, Sarah. Oh, um, well, it reminds me of how when Jesus was talking to the crowds, he always used parables and it says he didn't talk to them without using a parable, but he explained everything in private to his followers. And so it's not really in a way, it's not really breaking his pattern because that's what he was doing anyway. He, he spoke to the crowd in parables and he didn't, you know, give them the full story. And then he gave it the full story later to his followers. So that's one thought I had. And then the other thought, um, I think I've shared this song before. I can't remember, but it's a story. Um, it's a song that's based on a story about, uh, uh, I guess it's a man who's trying to get to this woman and she's locked herself in this squalid apartment. And he's like, I could call out her name with love through the walls, but condemnation's all she'd hear. And I could break down the door and take her in my arms, but she might die from the fear. And he's like, how, how am I going to come to her? And so um, it's about the incarnation and essentially we don't have to get too deep into the logistics because it doesn't really say it's, it's an allegory, but she's, he decides that he's going to come to her like she's going to be pregnant. And he says that, you know, then like every time she'll know I'm coming before I'm here. And when she hangs her head, she'll see me there. And then when I come, she won't turn away. And um, I think that sometimes that's the way that God treats us. Like he comes to us very, very gently. And if he just was like, I'm here, it would scare the living daylights out of us. Um, but he comes to us slowly. And so, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Charles. Um, I mean, one thing that struck me was just that uh, Rome and Jerusalem have had three years of Jesus' public ministry to see already, this, before his crucifixion, to see some pretty fantastic things happen. And uh, in, the, in the face of all of those fantastic things, um, they were threatened and and angered and tried to kill Jesus rather than uh believing the signs and wonders and um i i just wonder like if Jesus reveals himself to Rome again uh and and they who's to say they would believe that sign or wonder My, wouldn't they just think oh we didn't finish the job we've uh we, he's not, he did, he's not all the way dead. I mean, we wounded him. We gotta, we gotta do the job again. Uh, uh, I also made me think of the story that Jesus tells about how the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And when it's planted in the ground, it's really tiny and insignificant. And yet it grows to be this massive tree that gives shade and a home for the birds and, 
I mean, maybe Jesus like really believed that because that is the way that Jesus comes in crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, what's left on the other side of the tomb is a mustard seed that's planted in the ground that begins to grow the way the kingdom of God grows. Anyway, that's what came to me. Awesome. Thanks, Charles. Ben. Uh, yeah, at the risk, you can hear me. Uh, at the risk of sounding like a universalist, it strikes me, um, Mm -hmm. that God saving the world is out of God's love with no need to get credit for it. Uh, that this is God's version of when you pray, go into your closet and don't tell anybody. Uh, that God's not needing, uh, recognition or everyone to follow a five point sort of check all these boxes and then, okay, I've saved you. That God loved the world. And so God saved it with no need to, um, broadcast it. I'm probably wrong. So like many things. That's the risk we all run. No, I like that. Not the. God probably doesn't have that same like need to get credit for things that I definitely feel. Um, and I think others probably do too. Um, thanks everybody. This is, it's, this is a good thought and a good discussion. So, so Jesus deliberately reveals himself to this small group of people. Um, and then he tells them, not to just keep it to themselves, though, but to go and to preach, to make disciples of all nations, to be his witnesses to the world. What does that actually mean? Um, because in the re- I asked that question because it's, it's interesting to me that even by Acts chapter 10, our reading today, um, the story of Jesus is already known all over the place, right? Peter says in Acts 10, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism John preached. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Like, he was speaking to a group that already had heard the story. And this is what he was running into as he went places. And if that was true in Acts chapter 10, how much more true is that today? Like. Think about the links that you would have to go to to find someone who hasn't heard anything about Jesus. Pretty much everyone has heard at least like the highlights of the story. You could find someone on the street and they're going to be able to say, Jesus, isn't that like the son of God um, died on a cross, came back to life three days later? Like everyone already knows it. So if everyone already knows the story, what do we need witnesses for? Well, all the other stuff. Like the love that the apostles had for Jesus that prepared them to receive him when he revealed himself to them. See, that love grew over three years time that they spent watching him, listening to his stories, seeing how he lived his life, and emulating him, getting to know him, 
And out of that grew this love for Jesus. And it was their stories, the stories of the apostles, that they shared with the people, combined with the way that they lived their lives as other people were drawn to them and learned by by hearing the stories and by seeing the way that these lives were lived, they begin to open their minds and hearts to the possibility of loving Jesus too, even though these people hadn't actually met Jesus in the same way as the apostles. And this next group of Christians still came to know Jesus after over a lifetime of following him. And through the stories that they told and the way that they lived their lives, comes the next group of Christians, and so on, and so on, and so on, until we come today. So witness is this word that means a lot of things in in a lot of different contexts. Probably the biggest idea that it comes to mind is like someone in the courtroom saying, this is what I saw happen, um, trying to, to get down the empirical details of an event. And that's definitely like where my mind goes when I think about a witness or an eyewitness. But I really think that what Jesus was asking his followers to do when he sent them to be his witnesses wasn't to give people the logistics of the details of his resurrection. He was in this tomb and then the stone was open and then he wasn't there and then he was here and this is what he was like and he ate. And Although they wrote those things down, that's part of the story but a witness to who he was, to what a relationship with him is like, what it means, how Jesus loves other people and interacts with other people, what it means to love others and interact with others, to teach people to love, to be able to love him. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? What, when, what, is it, what does it mean for us today to be witnesses? And you know what? We're, we're at time. So I'm not going to, I'm going to let that be a rhetorical question. And I'm comfortable with that because we're actually going to be continuing to explore this idea of being a witness over the next, um, several weeks. We're going to be following through the book of Acts. Uh, and we're going to see the apostles in different contexts being witnesses of Jesus to different groups and see what they do and and how it impacts the people around them. So we'll keep this conversation going. 